Church. The reading for today is from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 9. Again, that's John chapter 14, verses 1 to 9. And this is what it says. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know me, you know him, and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? May God bless us all in the reading for today. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. You all are louder than that in the Blue Bombers game. Good morning, everybody. It is certainly a joy and honor and a magnanimous privilege to be here with you once again. And I pray and trust that as we go through the exercise of the word, that our hearts would be blessed, that we would be edified, and that we would leave here better than we came. In fact, this morning marks the culmination of our youth rally. We've had a great time thus far, and uh, we're just excited. If, you, if, if this is your first time being here, Identify yourself by raising your hands. We are excited to have you here. This is my second time being here, so I, I could say I'm part of the crew now, eh? Amen. All right, but what I would like for you to do is look to the person next to you and tell them that I'm happy to see you this morning. I, I also must warn you that I am from the Caribbean. And there's an implication of that. Being from the Caribbean, we normally eat our foods very peppery. We have a lot of seasoning in our foods. And as a result of that, I have the tendency to be a bit anomalous, meaning that I, I am somewhat of a nomadic type of preacher. I leave the podium and then I walk around the audience, I interact with you. So this might not be your norm in terms of preaching, but I'm just getting you to realize who I am. All right, I'm a Caribbean man, and I heard that we have some Caribbean people in the congregation as well. If you're from Jamaica, say good morning, Yadi. Amen. I heard we have some Jamaican folks here, so it's pretty good that you are here as well. We pray and trust that all would be to the glorification of Almighty God, and at the same time, we would be edified in the Word. Now, I don't want to make the mistake of a preacher that I heard about, because I was told that I have about 30 minutes to get the job done. Yeah, 30 minutes, so I'm going to hit the ground running, and I'm going to do that pretty, pretty quick. Because I heard about this preacher who had the reputation of preaching long, laborious sermons, and you know how that goes at time, where the preacher is just going on, and he's preaching, and you're like, okay, I got the point already, you might as well just say no more. I got it. So there was this little old lady at the back who was very, very ticked off with the fact that this preacher kept preaching long sermons. 
Back in the Caribbean, a short sermon is about an hour. Don't, don't get a heart attack. <laughs> Alright? I'm actually going to preach for 25 minutes if, if that serves you well. Alright? But this preacher actually came to his congregation one day, and he had a band-aid on his chin. And he said, Church, I have to make an apology. And they said, what exactly are you apologizing for? He said, while I was preparing my message, I actually or accidentally cut my chin. And the little old lady at the back said to him, Preacher, I have a solution for you. The next time what you need to do is to uh, cut the sermon and focus on your chin. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. So having said that, I'm going to ask you to meet me in the reading of the word in John chapter 14. I want to place my focus on verse number 8 and verse number 9, but I feel a bit remiss in my responsibilities. I want to thank uh, your leaders for allowing me the opportunity to be here, your elders. Let's give them a round of applause. Also want to thank your preachers, Sean and Jay. Give them a round of applause too. And honestly, you all have a really amazing young man by the name of Soren. Give him a round of applause. And part of the reason I say that Winnipeg is the greatest city in Canada is because your city is the only city in the world that has Chad Celia. Give him a round of applause. I love Chad. Chad is much more than a brother to me. He's a brother and a friend. And I really love him for that. And I love his wife, Kim, and my little nephew, Kamani. He's going to be quite the singer. You better look out for that. All right. So John chapter number 8, 14 rather, and verse number 8. The scripture reads this way. It says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? To give a quick synopsis, throughout the weekend, we looked at the definition of a disciple. And we saw what exactly it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to suggest to you that being a disciple is much more than coming to church on Sundays. It's much more than knowing the scripture. It actually means making a conscientious decision to follow Jesus Christ and to grow in your walk with him. We looked subsequent to that at the call to discipleship and the conclusion is that as a Christian we are called by the medium of the gospel. You don't get called any other way than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have seen that. We have already established that. And last night, we looked at the fact that discipleship can be costly. The reason why discipleship is costly is because it costs Jesus' life to follow the Father. So I want to suggest to you that in your walk with God, there will be times where it's going to be painful. In your walk with God, there will be times where... Things will look like it's crushing you on every end. You're going to feel like you're between a rock and a hard place. But normally, it is during these moments that we get to understand the peace of Almighty God. Because one person said, when we are pressed on every side, we get the opportunity to actually bring forth 
the Spirit of Christ more vividly. And this morning, we have a treat for you, and I'm going to present the topic. It's actually when God takes a selfie. Note that I am carried to be a youth speaker for today. My emphasis is directed towards the youth, but of course, it is applicable to each and every one of us. When God takes a selfie, and I know we have a lot of folks in here who take selfie on a regular basis. Some of you might be like, you know, like, take on my side or my pretty side and, and post that on Instagram and post that on Facebook. I know you know how to take selfies. And in fact, for the last 10 to 12 years in technological advancements, we have actually seen social media such as Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and WhatsApp. We have seen the birth of all of these social media outlets. And it is estimated that every single day, that over 1.6 billion selfies are posted every day. 1.6 billion selfies are posted every single day. That's a whole lot. In fact, if you're wondering what a selfie is, a selfie is basically a picture of yourself. We use social media to uh, connect with our friends, we use it actually to post our travelogues. I've seen a few pictures being posted since we've been to Winnipeg thus far. We use social media to share our thoughts, either through memes or personal texts. We use it to advertise events, and the list goes on. But one of the things that we actually use social media to do a whole lot is to post our selfies. Some people post some very interesting selfies. We have folks who post some really, really amazing selfies. And there are people who post some not-so-amazing selfies as well. Some of you are very good and skilled at taking the perfect selfie. And if that is you, then kudos to you. But I want to suggest to you that long before man came up with the idea of taking selfies, God was in the business of taking selfies too. In fact, God knows exactly what it is to take a selfie. And I want to suggest to you that when God takes a selfie, the person you see is Jesus Christ. When God takes his selfie, the person you get to see is Jesus Christ. And in the Gospel of John, you're going to get to see that. Because in John's Gospel, John does an amazing job in getting us to understand that Jesus is much more than meets the eye. A lot of times when we think about Jesus, what we normally say is that he was a good man. Some people said he was a man like God and he was a godly man. But this morning I submit to you that Jesus is actually God the man. He's not just a godly man and he's not just a man like God. He's actually God the man. John does an amazing job in doing that to get us to understand that Jesus Christ is divine. That Jesus Christ is eternal. That Jesus Christ is God. In fact, if you begin reading John, John begins by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him there was nothing made that was made. John tells us that Jesus is absolutely unequivocally God. He is God. Because which person you know... 
goes into a wedding in John chapter 2. And then the scripture tells us that the wine ran out. One preacher said it had to be a Caribbean wedding that Jesus attended. He went to that wedding, the wine ran out, and the scripture said that they sent to Jesus asking, Hey, you know the wine is out. What are we going to do? And Jesus said, what does that have to do with me? And he performed his very first miracle by turning the water into wine. Have you ever seen a man did something like that before? No. I want to suggest to you that Jesus is God because when we read in John chapter 10, the scripture tells us Jesus had a scuffle with the Jews because he always did. They were jealous of him. They couldn't figure out how is it that this bronze Galilean was so famous in attracting people. And Jesus said that me and my father, we are one. And they took offense with that because they knew exactly what he meant by making such a statement. In fact, what he was doing was assuming equality with God. And they took stones to stone him. And he made a statement that said, watch this, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, you need to realize that I am the self-existing God. I am the eternal God. There is eternality in me. Watch this. I get excited. So um, I wanna, I wanna, I'm not going to make an apology for my excitement. I really get excited when I preach. So, um, yeah, if I go over what you're accustomed to, you know, eventually you'll hang on. He said, before Abraham was, I am. They said, you're not yet even 50 years old. You're just a little boy. You're just about 32 years old. How dare you make such a statement saying before Abraham was, I am. In other words, what Jesus was saying is that I always existed. I am responsible for Abraham's creation. In fact, I made Abraham. I was there long before Abraham got there. And I'll be there long after Abraham is gone. I am. So in John chapter 11, the scripture goes on to tell us that Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus, died. And four days after Jesus walked up to the gravesite, and thinking that his friend, because he was called... And he was told that Lazarus is sick and you need to come over. You need to help him out because if anyone can help him, it's you. And the scripture said that Jesus deliberately stayed four days. And he waited for Lazarus to die. And when Lazarus died, he came walking. I could see Jesus walking, man. Came walking up to that tomb and I, with the Denzel walk, you know. <laughs> I could see Jesus walking up to that tomb. And he stood at a distance and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the scripture said, he who was dead came forth limping. Have you ever seen a man do something like that? Absolutely not. So it is indeed unambiguously clear that Jesus is God. He is God and I know that for a fact. He is God. So in John chapter 14, we have a very interesting encounter with Jesus. And his disciples. And it is at a time where he's about to die. He knows for certain that his death is pending. And he comforts them. 
He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If that was not the case, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you might be with me also. And he said, the way you know now. And the scripture tells us that Thomas said, but we do not even know where you're going. And we, don't, we do not even know the way. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how then do you say that you do not know the way? And the scripture goes on to say, Philip said, well, show us the Father and that's sufficient with, to me. That, that just, it, it will help me to feel more complete. It will help me to have a better understanding. Show me the Father and I'll be okay with that. And Jesus said to him in verse number nine, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, Jesus is saying, whoever has experienced me, you have been with me for three and a half years, Philip. You have walked with me. You saw when I spoke to that storm. And the storm listened. You were there when I told Lazarus, come forth, and he did. You were there when I fed the 4,000 with, with five loaves and two fish. You were right there. How then, how then can you walk with me so long? How then can you actually travel with me for three and a half years? How then can you be in attendance for so long? And at the same time, you can't discern that I am God. And I want to suggest to you that in our discipleship, sometimes we fail to understand God or experience God because we take certain things for granted. It's a sad reality that sometimes we have been walking with Jesus for a long time and we don't experience him. That's part of the reason why church becomes boring. It is because we go through a routine and we do not experience God in the process. It is because we have actually formulated ourselves in a certain way. And if it's not done this way, if I, if I don't sit up straight, if I don't blink twice, if I don't say amen in a certain intonation, then I'm not going to go to heaven. And what we have done is formulated a certain way of doing religion where at the same time we say we walk with God, but we do not experience him in the process. They were walking with him for three and a half years and they could not discern that the one that they spent time with was really the one who created all things. And I want to suggest to you that as you walk with God, it ought to become more evident in your walk that you're walking with Jesus. That you're walking with the one who made all things. That you're walking with the one who spoke matter into existence. And I'm saying to you, Central, that it is essential that you, you do not just walk with Jesus, but you experience God in the process. You do. That's when the change takes place. Because they walked with him. And he even died and they were still unchanged. It's after his resurrection. I want to speak to this side because, you know, I feel they look like they're watching me a little more. It's actually after his resurrection, they started changing. 
I like your tie, sir. I like that tie. (laughs) What I want you to realize is it's a very dangerous thing to walk with Jesus and miss God. This is the formulation. This is the embryonic church. The apostles. They are walking with Jesus and at the same time they are missing God. And Jesus is saying to them in the equation that I am God's selfie. That this is what God is all about. That if you see me, you are assured, you are certain, you are not missing anything. That I am God to the fullest degree. In fact, if you really want to know what God is all about, just look at me. That's what he's saying. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. So when we look, when God takes a selfie, the person we see is Jesus. And rightly so. In John chapter 1, the scripture says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And one of the things you need to realize, and then verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us, functioned among us. John is saying, in the beginning was the word, the logos, God's expression, God's thought, God's creativity, God's mind. In the beginning was the word. But I don't want you to miss the picture that he's painting because he's not saying the beginning of the word. (laughs) He's not saying that Jesus had a beginning as some suppose. What he's doing is that he's using a terminology that makes connection to his audience. And he's saying to them that in the beginning of creation, he's using a Genesis terminology. And what he's saying is that the God that you know who created all things in the beginning can be seen in Jesus Christ. But that's why he said in verse 14, and the word became flesh. The word that said, let there be light. And there was light. The word that said, let there be stratosphere. And there was stratosphere. The word that created the animals, the birds of the air, the fish in the sea. The word that breathed into the corpse and Adam became a living being. The word that made all things. He's saying that if you see Jesus, he is indeed the God you know in Genesis. Oh God, you're looking at me. Say amen if you can. (laughs) Right? You're looking at me. Watch this. What he's saying is that you've been reading Genesis so long, and how can you miss God in Jesus? You have Genesis, the Torah, the Pentateuch, whichever way you want to coin it. And you've been reading that repeatedly, and yet I'm right in front of you and you're missing me. You know, because there are some messed up selfies out there. There are people who put filters on their selfie. Amen. Amen. I heard of one woman being taken to court because she had a certain filter on her selfie. You know, it actually went on. The story goes on to say that this couple, they met on social media. And they decided to exchange pictures over social media. And this woman was sending some really beautiful pics 
here well done, nails on flick, here all banged up, everything looking square. And she sent those pictures to the guy. And he's like, wow, she's really gorgeous. She's a brick house. <laughs> she looks amazing. She's all that on a bag of chips. And then he said, I would like to meet you in person. And she waited there for half an hour. And he actually passed her straight. And she said, are you supposed to meet someone here? And he said, I am. And he said, is that the person you're supposed to meet? He said, yeah, that's her. And he said, who are you? She said, I'm that person. And he said, oh my God, you're not. And he actually took her to court because she had on her natural face, no makeup. She didn't have the long hair. She didn't have the nails. She didn't have the filters on Instagram. And she looked very normal and basic in his eye. And he's like, you deceived me. <laughs> you messed it up. I want to suggest to you that when you look at Jesus, he is God in totality. When you look at Jesus, he's everything about God. The way God loves is seen in Jesus. The way God cares is seen in Jesus. The way God speaks is seen in Jesus. The way God creates is seen in Jesus. The power of God is seen and expressed through Jesus Christ. So there's something that we find in Genesis, a very repeated phrase. In Genesis chapter 1, the scripture said, God said, let there be light. And in verse 4, God saw. So God said and God saw. Then that phrase is repeated all the way through. By the time you get to verse 9, God said again, let the waters under the heaven be gathered in one place and let the dry land appear. Verse 10, God saw. So there seems to be a consistency between what God says and what he saw. In fact, everything he said, he saw. Everything he spoke became a reality. Everything he brought forth orally became visually seen. What I want you to realize is that God, the God that we serve, when he says something about himself, he actually shows it by action. God is not going to leave you hanging by speech only because a lot of people are very good by telling you all the right stuff. But discipleship is much more than speaking or saying I love Jesus. Discipleship is actually showing it by behavior. Discipleship is actually going in the trenches and helping people and loving people and showing them that you're here for them. It's much more than just saying, I love you and I stay at a distance. Because when God wanted man to see what he looks like, he sent Jesus. When God wanted man to know what love looked like, Jesus died ignominiously on the cross. And today I'm saying to us, as I wind down to close, what does your life reflect when you say you love Jesus? I heard this story about three preachers who met together. And they were trying to compare which version of the Bible was the best. And one of the preachers said, man, I love the NIV. 
because the English in that is just, it's appropriate. I could read it, it's easier. One person said, man, I love the ESV, because the English is even better in the ESV. And one other guy said, man, I love Grandma's translation. And the two of them looked at him and said, Grandma's translation? I've never read Grandma's translation before. He said, no, 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 it's not in print. He said, Grandma's translation is that whatever she reads in Scripture, she bring it forth in her life. Because it's easy to read what Scripture is about. It's another thing to apply. Discipleship is I'm learning with my head, but I'm also applying with my hands. Discipleship is, I love Jesus and I'm learning about him, but I'm taking the time out to demonstrate that love by how I treat people, by how I care for them. Do you know your personality could be one of the greatest selfies that God lives in your heart? Don't, don't be too quick to say you love Jesus and you're a mean person. Hello? You don't say amen. I say amen for you. Amen. Amen. The greater you grow in your intensity in loving God, the easier it becomes to love on people and to really have a really good attitude and to stand up fearlessly and to serve courageously and to serve endearingly. Why? Because God becomes your modest operandi for service. In Canada, you might say modest operandi. I don't know. Canadian, Dominican, American, you get the point. In other words, Jesus is God's selfie. And as disciples, we are also selfies of Jesus. The question is, what kind of image are you portraying in your selfie? Because Jesus showed fully what it means to follow the Father. And he saying to us, as selfies of him, we have the obligation, the responsibility to show people that we are following the Father as well. We are following him. I'm not here to blast your selfies on Facebook. You know if you're posting bad selfies, you have your own job to do. I'm not here to give you a guilt trip. I am here to get you to realize that we have a responsibility in serving God. That's all I'm here to do. It's not very often that I get to sweat when I'm preaching. So I take that as a sign that it's really nice. Yesterday I was freezing to death. You should have seen me, man. <laughs> Trust me, it was crazy. I needed like two Tim Hortons to get it started. Yeah, it was really crazy. But nonetheless, I'm here, and I'm grateful that you are here as well. And I pray and trust that as we culminate today in the youth rally on the fully devoted to Christ, that the message would have blessed your heart and that you would have left here better than you came. God bless you for the opportunity to have yourself a blessed day. God bless. Thank you, Curtis. Um, you know, yesterday night was a pretty amazing day uh, because uh, Curtis blessed us with a great lesson, and he really got us to think about the cost of being a disciple. And uh, in response to that, Curtis had asked if anybody wanted to respond to that message. And um, I want to extend 
that invitation to anyone here uh, who would like to give their life to Christ right now. Uh, We have a baptistry here because we believe that in order to be in with Christ, you've got to die with Christ. And the Bible gives us this great image of what it means to be, to die to Christ. And it starts with a humble heart. And it starts by being willing to be immersed in water, to be buried with Christ. And scripture tells us in Romans that when we do that, we can be raised to walk in newness of life, a new life God will give you. And so as we stand and sing this song of invitation, it's a song that's calling you to come. If you have a need, I ask you to stand with me and sing.